You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, episode 40 in early October 2021. Today, I talk about the third year for classic hardcovers with guest Tony Witt, the spirit of 1976. I have two outrageous offers that will eat up two mortgage payments. And I review again how to protect those classic hardcovers. Ready to go? Then may I present the great Fraser Hines. Welcome back to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, the podcast that explores the classic world of Doctor Who collecting, those who collect, issues surrounding Doctor Who collecting, and of course, all kinds of Doctor Who merchandise. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been in collecting Doctor Who now since 1981. I did open one of the first stores dedicated to Doctor Who and Doctor Who fans back in 1984 in Chicago called Bundles from Britain. We were in the dealer's room at TARDIS 22 in November of 1985. And I will never forget John Pertwee coming to our table and saying, look at all this stuff. We are mentioned in a great book, by the way, called Red, White, and Who, The Story of Doctor Who in America. Bundles from Britain lives on page 384. You can find a link to buy this book directly on the front page of our website at DoctorWhoCollectors.com. We don't get any money for this book, but we think all collectors should have it. I am excited to announce that as of this recording, we are now part of the new Direction Point Doctor Who podcast network. You can find great Doctor Who podcasts at directionpoint.org. If you happen to be a Doctor Who podcaster, join today. Speaking of links, of course, and other things, two great resources for collectors. I want to point out timelash.com, the TARDIS book library, and more than just books. You can keep track of your books, your vinyl, your CD collection for absolutely free. Just sign up for a free account there with special thanks to Dan O'Malley, a friend of the podcast. If you're not sure what you might have or want to figure out a possible value or even look up what's available in the world, the vast world of Doctor Who, then you need to look no further than Howe's Transcendental Toy Box at doctorwhotoybox.co.uk. David J. Howe is, of course, uh, a great author in the world of Doctor Who and a good friend of ours as well, and one of the best resources for collectors. Of course, if you are looking for great Doctor Who items, classic items especially, at great prices, look no further than doctorwhostore.com. Alien Entertainment has what you need. You can also great find great Doctor Who items at Forbidden Planet, which is one of our sponsors. And if you come to our website at DoctorWhoCollectors.com, click on the merchandise link, and the latest and greatest from Forbidden Planet is there for you to browse or purchase. Anything purchased through our website does help benefit the podcast. You pay the same price, 
they pay us to stay on the air. It's a great deal. Also, if you visit our website, you can visit the great complete guide to Doctor Who classic hardcover books. I was honored to see a screenshot on a Facebook post that said, I agree with the uh, author of this, that this is the rarest hardcover-ish ever, because I've never seen one. <laughs> so I was very pleased to, to see that it is actually helping people. Um, we have many reprints, of course, that many collectors aren't even aware of. I do want to take of this moment here, another moment, to suggest politely that every Doctor Who fan get their COVID-19 vaccine. Because you're going to need proof of that vaccine or a negative COVID test within 72 hours prior of attending Chicago TARDIS 2021, returning to an in-person convention this Thanksgiving weekend. Face coverings will be required in all convention venues as of this taping. And please help us to protect our aging Doctor Who actors, such as Colin Baker, Michael Jaston, and Fraser Hines. Yes, I said Michael Jaston. The Valiard himself will be there. More guests, of course, are on the program. To find out the full list, go to chicagotardis.com and experience the best Doctor Who convention in the Midwest. I am honored by Chicago TARDIS to be the official collecting expert. So stop and see my collecting panel, which I discuss and bring many items from my collection for up-close inspection, so you can get an idea of what it, there is that's out there. And of course, you learn from um, the mistakes that I have made and other collectors have made over the years. Uh, we're also going to do a, um, uh, a, a panel on uh, the War of the Daleks, a workshop, more likely. We have got two fully working games, and we're hoping people will come out to play. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention, if you want to see the collecting panel from 2020 Chicago TARDIS, which was an all-virtual experience, just go to uh, YouTube and search for the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast channel and go to Playlists, and you'll find it first in that selection there. You can also find it on the playlists of Chicago TARDIS's YouTube page and their Facebook page. I'm also planning to moderate a panel discussion on the movie An Adventure in Space and Time that featured David Bradley as William Hartnell. Our theme song is Who's Doctor Who, composed by Barry Mason and Les Reed, performed by Fraser Hines, who will also be a guest at Chicago TARDIS. You can hear this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including Stitcher Radio and Podbean. And... You can find this wherever podcasts are found. You should also, by the way, want to point out to another great podcast that is now part of the Direction Point Network, and that is Time Streams, hosted by my good friend Nathan Laws. They recently did a deep dive into the first season of Doctor Who from 1963, and I honestly could not stop listening. It was really well put together. Um, they are also part of that great network. So after the break, uh, we'll have our main story, collection protection, and two most outrageous offers. Stay tuned. I would like to invite you to take a trip across all of time and space. Join us in the police box as we discuss the worlds of Doctor Who in a completely random order. We discuss it all. TV stories, audio adventures, novels, nonfiction books, and on and on and on. 
I'm your host, Eric Branson. I would be very happy if you'd join me for the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud partner of the Video Junkyard podcast and can be found on most major podcast platforms including SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. You are listening to the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and every two weeks or so I'm joined by a two to three person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Allison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You are listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point podcast. Keep collecting. Up there is the scanner, those are the doors, that is a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. And now it's time for the main story. This is a continuation of the classic Doctor Who hardcovers that we did back in March of 2020. We covered the 1974 and 1975 years of Alan Wingate, and of course it was easy to cover those two years because only four titles were published. So... The in Alan, Ingr- Alan Wingate, by the way, the, which is an imprint of Universal Tandem, uh, only issued two books for each of those years, and the only books that were published by Alan Wingate in those two years, as you recall, was nineteen was Doctor Who. So we start now in nineteen seventy six, where the number of books jumps to ten books and one reprint on the Alan Wingate imprint. Uh, after this, there will only be one more year of the Alan Wing- Wingate imprint, um, and it will then become Wingate Longbow before it moves over to W.H. Allen. So in 1973, just to give you a little history, my listeners, uh, Tandem established Target Books as a children's imprint. However, Target became well known for its highly successful range of novelizations and other books based on Doctor Who. In fact, it became exclusively Doctor Who shortly after. In 1975, Universal Tandem was sold by the UPD Group to the British conglomerate Howard & Wyndham, and the company was renamed Tandem Publishing Limited, before being merged with the paperback imprint of Howard & Wyndham's general publishing house, W.H. Allen, to become Wyndham Publications Limited in 1976. So that's, if you're curious why Wingate becomes W.H. Allen, you, there's your answer right there. So during 77 and 78, the Wyndham identity was completely phased out, and the Tandem imprint was phased out during 1980. Surviving titles from the backlist were subsequently printed under W.H. Allen's principal paperback imprint, Star Books. The Target imprint, of course, survives until 1993. The later years were exclusively used for Doctor Who novelizations. And of course, anytime we talk about Doctor Who novelizations on the Doctor Who Collectors podcast, I received uh, subpoenas here from Think Tank and the Tobias Vaughn Corporation to include our resident <laughs> Doctor Who novel specialist, the host and producer of the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the incomparable Tony Witt. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend. 
Hello, fellow to Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Force a habit. Force a habit. Sorry. Hello, Larry. How are you doing? Oh, doing great. No, I always enjoy that. In fact, uh, I just I just wrapped up uh, finishing uh, the episode on the Rebos operation. Oh, yeah. And, and looking forward to the pirate planet. So. <laughs> yes, we're going to be recording that this weekend. And we're all a little fearful. Because this is the first time we will have compared two versions of the same story, yes. two different novelizations, even though there are technically three. Right, and right. Allison in particular is kind of um, screeching about the amount of work we're having to put her through. Yeah, unfortunately, that that goes with the podcast. I mean, I I actually this this whole um, this whole information that we just started here with Alan Wingate, uh, it, it's not easy to find because I'll, I'll let you know as well as the listeners, when I Googled Alan Wingate, the third search choice that came up from Google is my own website because I cite <laughs> Alan Wingate in my Doctor Who hardcover guide. And I thought, there isn't a lot out there. No. <laughs> if it's, and, and so it's, uh, there was a couple of, uh, you, you know, a Library of Congress articles about the publisher and books that came up by them that were notable over the years, but that was about it. So finding the the history kind of, you know, and all these different, uh, I don't know if you heard the, me talk about Star Books, but there were yes, actually some Doctor Who books were released under Star Books. Yes, as double volumes, weren't they? Yes, exactly. So that that was what uh, you know when I when I saw that I thought ah there we go, and uh, it's a you know Universal Tandem is a huge publishing house and they now own several imprints and a lot of those imprints are going away. Uh, even W H Allen's imprint is no longer used. Mm. So it's it's really interesting. Of course, also great to great to hear that um, also that you and I are part of this new exciting Doctor Who podcast network called Direction Point. Yes, and uh, we are very excited about this. Uh, Direction Point is a podcasters helping podcasters approach to networking and using each other's audiences to gain further listeners. So the reason uh, the idea came to me after doing the combined podcast that we did with uh, with the Target Book Pub Club podcast, I had a lot of great emails back from my own listeners who said, "Well, at first we were a little lost, but it kind of sucked them into that conversation." So I'm sure now a few of those people have clicked the subscribe button on the uh, on your podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I have seen an uptick in numbers, so I Which, can definitely attest to this. So, so already we're off and running. So if you want to find out more, and of course our partner podcasts are located at directionpoint.org. You can also find us on Facebook at Direction Point. And soon all of our podcasts will be available on the Facebook page as well as through Direction Point and anywhere you get your podcasts you'll be able to find all of us and uh, of course if you are listening and you are a Doctor Who podcaster check us out at directionpoint.org we are here to help you Um, of course the the publication of 10 Doctor Who books is 5 times the number of books they published in subsequent years so obviously in 1976 uh, the marketing department there said wait we're getting a lot of sales on these books it's maybe we should pump out a few more and the Target book publications of 1976 mirror the hardcovers. It's one of the few years where that happens. And just mm-hmm. listeners, again, just to let you know, not every Doctor Who novelization was released in hardcover. Uh, in the early years, there were more released, and then they slowly phased out over time. So in 73, there were there were three in 73. There were 
uh, seven and seventy four, seven and seventy five for Target books. The hardcovers are now keeping pace with the paperbacks and will rise to twelve to thirteen a year until the hardcover runs in nineteen eighty eight, where the Target book mm-hmm. run runs a few years later. Um, these hardcovers are extremely sought after, and again, I, I mentioned in the in the preview, you might have to mortgage your house to afford some of these nowadays. Um, but they can be found in, in a couple ways. I, I have referenced these condition terms, just so you're understanding what we're doing. Uh, some are called ex-library editions, and that means these books were once in a public library, and they were pulled from circulation and probably sold at a book fair for maybe under a dollar or two or whatever, to some lucky person who took that dollar book and turned it into several hundred dollars later. Um, and also there is the, uh, actually I, I put my notes here, it's either pulled from a library or stolen from a library. <laughs> <laughs> that, that has been known to happen. Yes. <laughs> um, or, or of course a non-library edition, which was a, either a retail store or a bookstore or sometimes direct from the publisher. Um, but those are few and far between. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not distributed in the United States until 1985. And, uh, of course, that's, you know, you all know my story by now, uh, but the company I ran back in 85 was Bundles from Britain, and we were the sole retailer for all of the Doctor Who hardcovers that were available at that time. And we had those until they were gone in 1986 because the American distributor, Lyle Stewart, stopped importing them in 1986, saying that no one was buying them. <laughs> so it's it's really something. Now, today, I'm, I'm you know, I see these books selling for, a lot of money. Um, and, of course, uh, in 1976, Target books weren't even available in the, in the United States. And, of course, 1976, that was our bicentennial year. Any memories from that year, Tony? Um, very vague ones, because I was only six at the time. I oh, remember yes. DC and Marvel Comics doing particular things for the bicentennial, but that's literally all I remember. I do remember um, uh, being in grade school. I think I was I was seven at the time, and uh, I remember uh, we stood outside with our American flags, and all our teachers had the Uncle Sam hats, and we, uh, you know, all enjoyed the movie 1976 with David Cassidy, which I think they're going to do on the Video Junkyard podcast. It's that bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's really horrible. <laughs> but uh, but that's about my my memory of 1976. Of course, I had already been watching Doctor Who for a full year that year. So John Pertwee episodes were airing in Chicago in 1976. Um, I do recall seeing those every Friday night from 7 to 7.30. And uh, actually going back through the library of uh, Chicago Tribune TV listings, I confirmed that was the time that they were shown on Channel 11. So um, I do, uh, you know, to the books now. So in 1976, uh, just to let you know, all of the books were sold with dust jackets. And that's important to know. So we start off in January. The book was Doctor Who and the Loch Ness Monster, based on Terror of the Zygons, written by Terence Dix. And this one has a distinction of having a blue spine, which identifies the first edition copy. So if you have a copy of the Loch Ness Monster in hardcover with a blue-colored spine, that is a first edition. And you're set for life. Yes, pretty much, because um, there I haven't seen one ever, <laughs> so, and I don't have one. But they're they're very. I would use the rare word on that one because I've just never seen one for sale. Uh, the price, of course, in 1975 was two pound twenty five, which in today's U.S. dollars would be twenty seven dollars and fifty cents. So today, that book could fetch as much as eight hundred dollars in ex library condition. Oh. 
In other words, if it's kind of got a library wrapper on it or a sticker in the front or a pocket for the checkout card, you're looking at some serious money. A non-library edition, I can't even guess because I haven't seen one. And uh, at least in the last 10 years is the last time anyone has reported seeing one. Sadly, not in my collection, but um, uh, Doctor in the Loch Ness Monster, what, uh, what were your thoughts on that story, Tony? Well, I can tell you that that was a fair to middling story for us. Uh, Dalton gave it a 3.75, Allison gave it a 3, and I gave it a 3.75. It was one of those books that we enjoyed, mm. but I was able to say that the book really doesn't really doesn't live up to the televised story, which is almost always the case, but with a story like Loch Ness Monster, you really, really wanted to. That being said, the mm-hmm. fact that they gave it 3.75s is telling that somehow it still comes through on the page. Yeah, I, I did read it a long time ago, but I remember my favorite line in the book, of course, was uh, prepare to receive a message from Commander Broton. The doctor lets out a loud and vulgar raspberry. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. I thought because that wasn't on screen. No. <laughs> so, but but I, I just thought Tom Baker would have done that if he had, if it had been scripted. But that's uh, quite a story. And of course, the, the reason we're not seeing this book is it's sold pretty well. Being the first, you know, hardcover of the year and coming out under, you know, the new logo, of course, with uh, the artwork, same as the Target book. They came out at the same time and it sold very well. Um, of course, this is the first hardcover to be reprinted. So in August of 76, a second edition and a third edition was put out uh also in the same month of January 1976. Oh so proof of life on the third edition is still pending. I've had a few people say they think they have one, but I'm waiting to see the proof of that. Uh, I asked them to send a copy of the cover and the inside page with the printing history. So I'm still waiting on that, but that is what uh, the information I have through WH Allen says that there was a planned third edition. We don't know it got printed. Uh, that's oh, only rumor. Um, of course, this time the reprint is easy to identify because it was reprinted with a white spine, mm. not the blue spine. So if you have the blue spine, you've got the first edition. If you have one with a white spine, now the third edition is also rumored to say Wingate Longbow on the side, and that's how you know it's a third printing. So hmm. each printing is distinctive in itself. Um, the value of the second or third edition is pretty much like the first because none of them have been seen either. And uh, this is the first time not many been reported to be in circulation. I have I don't have any copies of this uh, in hardcover in my collection. I have several of the Target books. Um, so can, can you believe that this is, you know, these these books are selling for this much money, Tony? I, I, I wish I'd known it back when, you know, I had a chance to actually possibly get one. <laughs> but I, I never had a chance to get this one. In fact, I didn't even know about the Blue Spine, though. It is yeah. interesting to note that if you if you have this book, The Blue Spine, you know you've got a first edition, and you know you're guaranteed a month's run at some point in the future. Absolutely, and I, I guarantee it would probably sell for much more than eight eight hundred dollars. I mean, oh yeah, uh, people are are. I mean, just I've watched uh, I, as a as kind of a professional uh, insight. I I put up the watch list on, on eBay on certain things to see where they go. And there was a copy of Genesis of the Daleks, which we'll get to in a few minutes here, that actually went for 925 pounds <gasps> sterling. You're ex- kidding me. Ex-library copy on eBay. 
That's um, insane. Exactly. So this that's that's why this particular season of Target books. That's why I said mar- mortgage payment because we're, we're actually <laughs> maybe even two mortgage payments uh, by yes. the time we're done. But uh, just just crazy stuff. Um, of course, we move on to February of 1976, and two books were printed. The first one was uh, Doctor Who and the Dinosaur Invasion, based on Invasion of the Dinosaurs. And just for my my uh, guest here, and uh, I'll put this on YouTube. I have a copy of this one. Uh, it's an ex-library edition uh, by Malcolm Hoke, and there's nothing uh, distinguishing about the book, so it's not easily identified as a first or second edition without checking the inside. Uh, it's very hard to find, even in non-library condition, or, or you know, for that matter. Ex-libraries are common. Uh, you can expect to pay up to $300 for an ex-library copy. Uh, so, uh, what about this story? This is this goes back on the on the podcast a few episodes. Yeah, in fact, we had Trey Cortez as a guest for mm-hmm. that particular one, and both Trey and I gave it a four out of five. Uh, Dalton gave it a three point five. Allison gave it a two point five, which at the time was fairly high for her. The main thing we remember about the book is that even though it is an incredibly flawed novelization, it's not Malcolm Hulk at its best. It is still Malcolm Hulk, and yes. he is always worth the money you pay to read. And, yeah, I can see why having this in hardback would be quite the achievement. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really nice copy. And, of course, on the inside flap is a wonderful biography, a uh, little bio of Malcolm Hulk. And, of course, there's a, uh, a little bit of a, like what would be on the back of the Target book for the blurb. Um, on the back of this hardcover, and I'll, I'll hold it up so you can see it there, and I'll put it up there, is also a list of other books that are in print. Aww. So sometimes uh, when you're when you're looking at, you know, when I was doing my research on the hardcovers, having them and then looking at this list kind of gave me an idea of what the prices were. Of course, these were all £2.25, by the way. I'll just say the whole series in that year never changed price. Um, but it also gave me an idea of what, w- what they were promoting and what they were trying to sell. And these are the books that, and some of these books, uh, the books on the back here were Planet of the Spiders, which was already in print from the previous year, as well as The Three Doctors. They have The Loch Ness Monster, which is the previous uh, printing, and then the next uh, future printing would be The Tenth Planet. So Mm. that kind of gave you an idea of what was coming out. Um, And that's uh, a really nice copy of the book. I was really, I've had this one for a number of years. This one I found late in the late 80s. Um, I have it, a question for you about sure. that. Sure, go ahead. That back cover, mm-hmm. do you prefer it to, well, most times whenever a publishing company tells you what's being published mm-hmm. by their company in hardback, they'll do it in pages within the book itself. They, they generally yes. won't put it on the back cover. And instead, as we know from the Target Book Club podcast, They'll instead put a blurb telling us what the story is about. Um, do you yourself have any problems with them having listed books on the back rather than a blurb as they would normally do? Yes, um, and the reason for that is sometimes the book doesn't have the dust jacket. And oh. so without the dust jacket, you don't get this list. <laughs> and <laughs> so it would have been nice. And and, and just for, for you know that, I'm going I'm to pop this one out of the bag real quick here so I can take a look at the inside so this is what we do there's no editing here folks this is what we do <laughs> is um, it bigger on the inside <laughs> it might well, it, it might be um no actually it's uh it, it's interesting in the back pages here there's nothing it just ends the story but uh in the inside back flap is the uh, malcolm hulk 
um, biography. And uh, on the inside flap is the ISBN number and the blurb. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, is he the only one that gets a biography like that in a hard fact? Actually, no. Uh, if you, um, It's been a year since we did the last one, but there was one for Terrence Dix in The uh, Three Doctors. Okay. Yeah, All right. That, that's kind of the unique part of these uh, these old hardcovers is that they they did this in, in this way. And, of course, the book itself, let me just pop the flap off carefully here so you can... Uh, get an idea. It's just a just a blue cloth, mm. and then there's a gold uh, imprint on the side. I love the gold is, printing, though. Oh, it's very nice, and they even have Wingate stamped at the bottom. But it's it's really nice. So even if you got rid of the 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 dust jackets or you protected them separately, the books would look amazing on the shelf just with the 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 cloth bound. They're mm-hmm. very nicely made, and for two pound twenty five, which uh, considerably just back in those days, that was a little bit of an investment back then. Yeah. And, uh, of course the, uh, they also illustrate, I also noticed too, whenever they publish a book that is not in the current season, they put the changing face of Dr. Who and the illustration, the front shows the third doctor, <laughs> just so that you're not yes. confused with all that, of course. And I'll, I'll share with my, uh, my listeners the first time, you know, I saw a Tom Baker episode. I was extremely confused because I had been watching John Pertwee's doctor all through the, early 70s and then there was a little break in tv and then i saw well doctor who's back i'll catch it and i was completely lost uh and then a few days later they showed uh the beginning of robot and i saw the regeneration i go ah (laughs) okay (laughs) now i'm there and of Mm -hmm. course thoroughly enjoyed all the tom baker episodes after that so that that was it was kind of a moment of ah and then of course later in the 80s, you know, buying my first Doctor Who magazine, and there's Peter Davison on the cover going, who's this guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I figured, okay, they're going to change again, but we were in the, and we were, there was uh, that period, and I talked about this on the, on our, uh, on the last podcast we did together, is that this endless loop of robot to invasion of time happened mm. in Chicago forever, and then uh, finally they moved it to Sunday nights and started with the Rebos operation. Mm-hmm. And um, then finally we got to see the rest of it but uh it's it's really cool these these books really kind of bring that back the the next book um that came out here in uh is doctor who and the 10th planet and that's by jerry davis uh this was also given two printings the second printing was in january of 1977 and that is uh this one is the first edition mm-hmm. uh, of the 10th planet there is nothing on the back cover it is plain uh, just has the Wingate uh, on the bottom. The uh, identifying factors is if you have a second edition, uh, it will say Wingate Longbow on the bottom because Longbow uh, became an imprint uh, a year later, and that's when they started putting those on there. Uh, the first, of course, on the front cover, it says the first Cyberman story, which it also does on the Target book. It so does indeed. Nothing, nothing really different there. Uh, the same, same goes for that. Uh, X library copies uh, could fetch about two hundred dollars and up, and a non library copy five hundred and up. And I've seen them out there. Um, co- a couple of weeks ago, somebody had one of these on eBay, a uh, first edition, and it sold for close to five hundred. Wow! Just, just amazing uh, how that works. Um, how about this one? This story. That is probably one of the few that I would want to have in hardback because. Both Dalton and I gave that four out of five stars. Okay. Allison gave it 2.5, but that was for uh, different reasons, I believe. 
we really enjoyed that book, and I think it's still the possibly, apart from Tomb of the Cybermen, the only Jerry Davis book I actually think is worth reading. Oh, it's yeah, I'm, really I've read, and I've read Tomb. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, um, and then just opening this up, uh, the 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 flap, of course, includes uh, Jerry Davis and his bio, which is really nice. And the inside flap uh, does have a little blurb about the uh, about the story. And uh, there are no other advertising pages in this particular novel, but uh, it's nice that they put pictures of the authors in there. That was something they they did typically with hardcover books. And it's the same um, the same kind of thing with the cloth. It's cloth with with the gold lettering, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. And this has uh, this is an ex library copy, but it does not have um, the pockets in there. They're not. Uh, I when I got this one, I remember it had the plastic cover around it completely. Uh-huh. So I have um, I do this regularly, and I, I'm intended to my listeners. I've gotten a lot of emails. Could you show us how to do this? And I will. Um, I have some special um, equipment I got from a library company. How to remove those? So I was able to remove the cover. So I have just the book, and the book is oh. in excellent condition without that that plastic wrap. Really protected the dust jacket. I and the, may have to get to you then because I've got a copy of Doctor Who and an exciting adventure with the Daleks that has that wrapping on it. Oh, I'm more than happy to help you with that. That's, that's <laughs> fantastic. And uh, we and the tape they typically used didn't harm the book, so it was really oh. easy to remove without tearing the book. It's a it's a special tape they use in library binding uh, when they go to repair pages. That way, if they want to take the tape out and replace it, it won't rip the pages like Scotch tape would. So it's hmm. it's really quite amazing. Right. The, the the book basically has a is a few in like it looks like some pencil indentations on the front, but that's about it. It's a it's a beautiful book. Hmm. Um, and like I said, that one you'll you'll pay some money for that one. <laughs> in March of 1976, <laughs> uh, we we moved to uh, Doctor Who and the Ice Warriors by Brian Hales. I do have that one in my collection here. Uh, the price is the same, uh, two pound twenty five. Uh, the same dust cover. Nothing distinguishing it from the first edition or the rumored second edition. The second edition is only a rumor at this point. According to publication records, a second edition was done later that year, but there's no proof of life. So again, listeners, if you have a second edition, shoot us an email at doctorwhocollectorspodcast at gmail.com. Picture of the cover and the inside page, and I'll definitely credit you because I do credit someone later in this podcast who sent me a second edition proof of life. Um, you can expect to pay $350 for an ex-library copy and much more for non-library copies. In fact, very few non-library copies exist. Hmm. Um, I should note that um, if you can actually pay much less if the dust jacket is missing. Sometimes if you go on to Abe's Books and look, at, look around, you'll see Doctor Who had covers that say, Dust Jacket Missing, and that's why the book is $30. So hmm. if you're just looking for a copy of the hardback, without the dust jacket, just for reading or whatever, you know, even collecting value, you can get it for a little less if you just look around and see if it's missing a dust jacket. Um, and uh, this uh, this one, you know, it's it's just, uh, it, it's 1977, according to this, had, had, a, had a reprint, but, um, and, but no proof as of yet. Um, I've always enjoyed Brian Hale's uh, books, but uh, what did you guys think of the Ice Warriors? We had some divergence of opinion on that one because this is um, one of the Brian Hales books I actually enjoy because the Paladon books do – 
well, the one Paladin book does nothing for me. In fact, I can't stand Paladin. But gotcha. I gave this one a 4.5, which is one of the highest ratings I've given to something. Dalton gave it a 3.5, and his are usually near my rating or higher. And Allison gave it a 2.5, and at one point she said, this book was like a warm beer on a hot day. Okay. <laughs> so it had that level of enjoyment for her. So no no ice. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I opened uh, the book up, and of course this one does include a wonderful picture of Mr. Hales uh, with a little biography. And um, this book also has on the back other editions that are available. And including here the Three Doctors, the Loch Ness Monster, probably the reprint at this point, and the Dinosaur Invasion, which are all previous uh, releases. Um, this book also uh, has on the inside cover uh, another list of books. It looks like somebody used it as a checklist because it's marked up. But it, uh, other books uh, by Ellen Wingate include The Story of the Loch Ness Monster by Tim Tinsdale, The Creepy Crawly Book, the pony pile, the pony plot, the secret of the missing foal, and then uh, some Doctor Who books, which are crossed out, which means the person who had this one had the other ones. Uh, also, Doctor Who and the Tenth Planet, Doctor Who and the Dinosaur Invasion, The Mountains, The Great March West by Terence Dix, and The Mounties Massacre in the Hall in the Hills by Terence Dix. So, other Terence Dix books. That's uh, highly interesting. I have to wonder. Whether or not any Doctor Who fans out there have tried to track down those other books of his, because I frankly have not seen them anywhere, and I don't even know if they'd be worth tracking down to try to read, or much less collect. Every once in a while, when I do an author search on Abe's books, a non-Doctor Who book comes up for Terrence Dix, but it's way beyond my budget. <laughs> It's uh, apparently people have caught on <laughs> that his other books might be popular. And so as a result, um, oh those, those other books are, are very hard to find. They were also published in paperback, um, but they're very difficult to find. It's like the, um, the book uh, that Malcolm Hulk wrote on how to write a TV script. And, oh, God, yes. That goes yeah. for thousands of dollars doesn't it oh yes and uh and even just on a, on a different note somebody is selling the peter haining file apparently all his handwritten notes that he did for the key to time and it's two thousand dollars if you want his notebook of an <gasps> expandable file of all the stuff that he did to write that book i don't know where the person got it from but Good god you know what a what a what a it find. wasn't even that great a book <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. It's it's. Uh, I, I remember. Um, I do remember when it came out because we bought it. In fact, it was in the bundles catalog, and I remember sitting. Uh, I was with Gene Smith at the time, and we we went through it and goes, "This is not that great." <laughs> it was hyped. No. It was hyped as one of the best, you know, compendiums, and I'm like, "Huh, no." And even the, even the, yeah. the the follow up books too, and and they they weren't very good. And W.H. Allen was just throwing a lot of stuff out there, especially around the 20th anniversary. That was right around that time. Mm -hmm. And we, we, they really tried to cash in on it, and it just didn't produce a lot of good, you know, good material, um, which is sad. Have you ever done an episode on just those books by themselves? No, but there's one planned. Um, good. We're going we're gonna to do the, all the Peter Hennings. And, of course, you're welcome to, to join me on that one if you'd like. Yeah, <laughs> I have, I have a few... 
<laughs> I have a few bones to pick with the first book. Gotcha. One we'll in particular. So, so yes, you heard it here first, folks. That episode will be will be done, and Tony Witt will be our guest. So that's <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, okay, so now now we get to some of the some of the meteor novels as far as uh, cost, but they skipped uh, April altogether. Nothing came out in April, but in May of 1976, they published Doctor Who and the Revenge of the Cybermen by Terence Dix, and that I do use the word rare. It is one of the rarest hardcovers today. Um, a reprint was done in 1977, according to W. H. Allen, but no proof of life exists. This is one that's not in my collection, and I have not seen one for sale. Uh, the last time I saw one was over $1,000 for an ex-library copy. And I'm not even going to take a guess at what a non-library copy would sell for. Um, <laughs> I don't use the rare word very often, as much as I don't like using it at all, as it's overused in the Doctor Who world. But I'll be honest, I know one person in the world that has a copy, and uh, that's David J. Howe. So, uh, and he's got one, uh, in the museum. So of course that's, it does. <laughs> that's, that's about, that's about it. Although I've got a book he doesn't have, so that's, <laughs> that's coming up. <laughs> but, um, anyway, uh, Revenge of the Cybermen was actually one of my favorite TV stories. Uh, but, uh, what, uh, did, did, what did you guys think of the book? Well, no proof of life would probably describe the book itself just as much as it would that uh, second edition. There we go. Because, <laughs> oh my God, it, I I gave it a two. Okay. Dalton gave it a two point five. Allison gave that one. Allison and Trey both gave that one a three, which is hmm. interesting. It's one of the few times that Allison and Trey have given a book a higher rating than Dalton or I do because we tend towards the higher ratings. In right. fact, at one point, Trey said, nothing Dix does here is horrible, but nothing Dix does here is amazing. Mm. And it's true. It's a very middling kind of book. So, again, it's one of those instances where the books you think would be the rarest are mm -hmm. not necessarily the best, and that's probably why they're rare to begin with. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling that it has to do with the fact that they skipped April in publication and then hit May really hard with, with uh, Revenge of the Cybermen because they also skipped June of 76. <laughs> so um, that's that's probably my thought. And also the fact that they, they list a reprint means that they sold out. And I could not get exact publication figures. I know the Target books, you can get publication figures pretty readily, but they're very um, sketchy about releasing information about the hardcovers. I've actually put in formal requests to Tandem Publishing, you know, and I said, I even pay for the copies. You know, if I can find out how many were printed, that might help us out. But there was no interest in helping and even you know, all that, but, uh, we can't even guess how many they did. I just, I only know that the last hardcover they printed, the smugglers was so low in print that there are so few of those remaining. And that's actually the rarest hardcover, um, mm. out there because I've never seen one. It was not distributed to the United States and only a handful or maybe a hundred of them or so were done because they were wrapping up, up in hardcover and they said they were done yeah. with that. Um, but however, the, um, the, the fact that they skip a June release and then they go to July and this is the, one of the first times they, um, they actually published a book in story order, which is what you guys mm -hmm. do. And uh, so they did Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, also by Terrence Dix, another hardcover with dust jacket, and those dust jackets will continue until the early 80s. Um, this is another book that I consider to be impossible to find, 
And the last one just sold a few days ago for well over a thousand dollars, about nine about nine hundred pounds, so almost two thousand dollars. So just just crazy stuff. Um, right now, I said uh, there's an X. They were X library copies. This one was also rumored to have a reprint in 1977, but again, no proof of life. Um, and I'll say again, if you have any of these reprinted copies, I would love to hear from you. Uh, send a photo of the inside page so we can use it in our hardcover guide. We'll be more than happy to give you credit for that. Doctor Who Collectors Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Genesis of the Daleks still considers to me to be one of my favorite stories. Um, and so what about you, Tony? It is one of my favorite stories. Uh, for Trey Corte, it is not. Okay. okay. <laughs> and in fact, that, came, that became part of our discussion in that episode. Uh, he actually said it was nothing super special, the uh, novelization. No, actually, Dalton said it was nothing super special, which oh, is okay. interesting. Oh, so interesting. for Dalton tends to be a cheerleader for this sort of story. And for him to say there's nothing super special and still give it a three, that tells you something. It That was such a weird novelization because you have this massive behemoth of a story mm -hmm. in terms of its importance in the Doctor Who mythos, and the novelization just sits there. Hmm. And you think okay. the Terrence Sticks would have been a little more cognizant of how important it was, but it's just not up to his normal stuff. Oh, interesting. Of course, in, in, in 1976, he only did a few books. So that's that's right. really interesting that he had plenty of time to work on these where before they chained him to a desk and future years and said <laughs> you need 30 <laughs> yes exactly and and of course uh one of the things and i'll tell my viewers again or my viewers my listeners <laughs> i feel like i'm watching a video here and i'm like <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on a podcast anyway um, one of the things that i found interesting about the target book club podcast is they do the books in story order which means that the book one might have been done in 1974 but the next book might be 1986 so it's interesting the writing styles how they change even both books by Terrence Dix, how their writing styles have changed in the decades. Mm -hmm. And so that's always interesting to see. And of course, some of the books are shorter or they've taken more out or, you know, depending on the editors and whatnot. So this is a, this is an interesting year. And of course the, the paperbacks are coming out at the same time as these hardcovers. So Genesis, the Daleks, the target book hit the shelves the same time as the hardcover. And this is one of the few years where that's the case. Yes. Um, and uh, we go uh, also to uh, August of 1976. Wingate publishes Doctor Who and the Web of Fear by Terrence Dix. That is one that I have. Um, I have personally, I've seen many copies of this hardcover. And it's also uh, have been rumored to have been printed, reprinted in 78 by W.H. Allen. And the reason I know that is this is the reprint. <laughs> it says Longbow W.H. Allen on the side here. So it's not so the it Wingate does. publication. So this is the second edition. Uh, so in the second edition, I've had this book for well over 20 years. So um, I, I remember I paid $20 for this book. Wow. Uh, today, oh <laughs> you might pay <laughs> about $350 to $400 for a copy of The Web of Fear. The first edition is a little bit harder to find, although there are a few that I've seen out there in the last couple of years. So you might pay about four to five to 600 depending on the seller, depending on its condition. 
Um, the first edition has Wingate on the side, so if it says Wingate on the bottom, you've got a first edition. If it says Longbow WH Allen, like I do here, and I'll show these on YouTube, so don't worry if you want. I'm listening to you. I can't see anything. Don't worry. We'll get And pictures <laughs> will be posted on the website, and you'll see all that stuff. Um, and so it's the second edition is actually the easier of the two editions to find. There were more of these printed. Uh, it was also the first story to be uh, to be considered for um, another project, a junked project, called the Doctor Who Target Book Collection. And oh. the idea was a magazine was going to be printed every month with a minted copy in hardcover of the Target novelization. Oh, God, really? Yes, and so um, this particular hardcover, and this is the book that David uh, J. Howe doesn't have <laughs> because <laughs> these are prototypes. These oh were never my. these were never put for sale. And when this was offered to me, I jumped at it because I was like, I have never heard of that. So it's the same exact. I just hold them up here so you can see them, Tony, but they're the exact same size. The artwork uh -huh. is the same, except you see the they target are. logo on this one. So it actually has the distinction of being the only classic Target hardcover ever printed. And, and I noticed the artwork is also kind of shrunken a little bit yes. so that it all fits onto the cover. Exactly. So it's a little bit different than the original. And it's also got the distinction of having a reversible dust jacket. Seriously? Yeah, I'll, I'll pull this one out because this one, this is a, this was a very interesting find. And in fact, I only know of two in, that are in existence because a, another user contacted me because apparently there was a letter that went with it. And he was copying the letter for me and getting it to me so I can have a copy of the letter. And um, so let me, let me flip this dust jacket off here real quick. And I'll show you the other artwork that's on the cover here. This is the alternate cover on the inside. Oh my goodness! So oh you, my god! So it even that's has such a, a treat. It has a black spine with the Target logo on there, but uh, the original, and then of course it has a purple spine with the Target logo. Oh and my gosh! It's it's really it was supposed to be, uh, and and of course and it's uh, by the way white cloth bound. Oh, that's lovely. No imprint, no imprinting, because this was a prototype. Oh, impossible to keep clean. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no kidding. I should have worn the my dust gloves. <laughs> yeah. Right. I should have put my gloves on. Uh, but the was back. The... I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, is the artwork done by the same artist? Yes. This is, this, this is Chris Achilleos on the cover. Wow. Um, and uh, he did. Uh, Chris Achilleos also did the alternate cover. Um, and does the alternate cover appear anywhere else except in this prototype? Because no, it the, doesn't. Oh, wow. This is the only place you'll ever see it, and I'll make sure that pictures of that goes up uh, on there as well. Um, it's it's uh, uh, The reason I didn't reverse the hardcover is all the creases are already done one way, and uh, I didn't want to, like, you know, you crease something too much, then it gets brittle. So I wanted yes. to make sure I kept it. But it came with a magazine that actually went behind the scenes of the book. As far as the artist, the story, the writing, and all that stuff, and so it was a really interesting project. But my, uh, according to David J. Howe, um, the project was junked because of the cost. Oh yeah. Of of printing x number of hardcover books, and of course they were going to do this monthly. Um, sure. I'm going to step away from the mic. Let me grab the magazine. It's just over here. 
and uh, let me plug my headphones back in. There we go. So um, this is what the magazine looks like, and I'll show this. Huh. On, uh, it's Doctor Who and the Web of Fear, and they already had planned to do the Zarbi as the next edition. It said in the back of the oh, magazine, wow. next month, the Zarbi. And this was sent to a handful of users or people who had subscribed or people who may potentially have subscribed to this offer. And they all said they would, but the cost of the project would have made this uh, basically just not, it wouldn't have made any money. I, and, I'm amazed that they even came up with the idea because yeah. why, why would they? Yeah, I, it's, I, I just I, can't see a point. I think when and, and there's no date uh, of publication because, again, these are all prototypes. So a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. is, is absent. But I think the thing was, is they were still trying to, you know, right now, Doctor Who, even today, is a cash cow. And so they were trying to figure out a way to put out a product that people would subscribe to and that that would recoup their costs. But they couldn't come up with a subscription price that would keep up with this demand. And they couldn't figure out how many to print unless everybody prepaid their subscription, basically. So I'm guessing if you were going to pay 50 bucks a month and get this in a, in a, cause a hardcover in a magazine, it wouldn't cover a lot of people. That's kind of a pricey subscription, but it, it made sense to me as far as a product, they're going to put out something. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the inside cover, just the, the credits that they put in here, I wonder, they, they do have, um, Target, published by the paperback division of W.H. Allen. It looks like a complete copy of the paperback. And it says here, Target book published in 76, um, text copyright 76, and that's it. Basically, it's a reprint of what was inside the Target book. And the changing face of Doctor Who, the second Doctor, as they did in, uh, whenever they did a a book that goes backwards, uh, they, Mm -hmm. they did that for the most part. It's the same exact, um, in fact, the, the book, uh, it's not on um, the beige paper. I'm just going to hold it up so you can see it. It's on white paper. Oh, wow. So that I even, is rare. So it's it's really something, and that's why I thought this particular, you know, and, I, and like I said, only two of these I know exist, so I couldn't even put a value on it. Um, I know what I paid for it, and Which I'm not Which is why David that. J. Howe is... <laughs> He tried right. to get one. That's why David J. Howe is planning your demise. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'll, I'll have um, uh, later this season, we'll have David J. Howe on the podcast for his new book, The New Who Adventures, uh, which goes behind the scenes of the new Doctor Who Adventures, which are the w- books that followed the Target book series, uh, some of which were made into audio adventures featuring Dr. Bernice Summerfield and the Seventh Doctor. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a few of those in the collection, including... Uh, Lung Barrow and the Dying Days, which are two of the rarest ones out oh, there. Oh, yes. Uh, but uh, he's, <laughs> his book, of course, if you haven't, uh, and just a little plug here because I promised I would plug it for him, uh, you can go to Telos Publishing and pre-order that book. It is not out yet, but you can put your order in and it'll be shipped out as soon as that order comes in. David usually has a 24-hour turnaround once those books arrive at his home because he operates out of his house. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, and, um, so it, it, that's, uh, so the web of fear, of course, um, just going back to the story, it's, it's one of the, um, you know, just a, just a story for me that has one of the most iconic lines in, in all of Doctor Who history. And I'll read it aloud. I am Colonel Alistair Lethbridge Stewart, said the precise military voice. How do you do? I'm the doctor. What's it want? I wish I knew. 
The only thing I know for sure is that it brought me here. Brought you here? Yes, been wondering how you got here. Yes, but I... I don't think there's any harm in, in telling you now. I... I have a craft that travels in time and space. Oh, come now, Doctor, you can't uh, expect... This craft of yours, this time-space craft, could it get us out of here? Uh, yes, but it's at Covent Garden. What does it look like? It's a police box. Oh, really, kill you. So, if we could rescue that craft, you could take us out? Yes. Yes, I could, but I, I have to stay here and finish Travers' work. Ah, Doctor. Miss Travers is feeling all right now. I'd like to see you right away. Very good, Jerry. Excuse me, Jerry. Yes, please. Well, I've heard some stories in my time, but that one really takes... So you don't believe him? No, of course not, sir. The whole idea is screwy. A police box. Well, whether you think it foolish or not, we are going to rescue that craft. Oh, but, sir, how... Captain Knight, the army has failed to defeat this menace. Now, the doctor thinks he might succeed. Personally, I doubt it. But if we stay here, we're as good as dead. Therefore, I do not intend leaving any escape route unexplored, however screwy you may think it. Oh, surely, Colonel, I'll... Let's get on with it, shall we, Knight? Sir. <laughs> Probably the most important meeting in Doctor Who history, and it's all yes. on, it's all, and that line is all on its page, all by itself. Um, a great story, Tony. What were your thoughts on this story with the uh, podcast? Well, again, Dalton and I both gave it a four, Allison a two point five, okay. and it's one of those interesting moments where wherein Terence Dix knows that he's writing for an audience that already knows who Lethbridge Stewart is. And so right. in doing the novelization, he completely tells you right at that very moment, of course they would become good friends, so any sort of suspicion there's going to be about him possibly being uh, the pawn of the great intelligence that was in the original televised story, forget mm -hmm. about it. You know he isn't, so we're not even going to bother with that plot line in this novelization. <laughs> and I think it's just lovely. It's very meta. I, I, could say. I read it recently, and I really enjoyed it. In fact, I... I, I I just I just put it on the on the red pile here. I've got a beat up copy of the Target book, and um, it it's just a it's a wonderful read. I, I it it's really a is. it's a quick read too, which is nice. But it's uh, and I'm excited too because I'm looking forward to the new Blu-ray edition, which has the animated missing episode. Oh yes, and uh, that will be exciting to to see. Um, the by the way, the uh, back going back to the the W H Allen uh, hardback. This one, of course, has on the inside flap the. Uh, picture of the late Terrence Dix and a little bio mm -hmm. and you can see where it's been checked out from the library so it's it's got the library it's stuck to there so this was um let's see what library was it from oh it's got the big discarded stamped across it so somebody had picked this up for a for a few pounds here uh it doesn't have the library name but it does have a list of other titles in the Doctor Who series. So we're getting uh, towards, uh, let's see, I said this is the late, the part of the summer here. Um, they have already announced future titles for 1977. So let me go through this list here. Uh, the Carnival of Monsters, The Seeds of Doom, The Dalek Invasion of Earth, The Claws of Axos, Ark in Space, Brain of Morbius, Planet of Evil, The Mutants, The Deadly Assassin, The Talons of Wang Chiang, and The Face of Evil which will all be out in the next year. 
So yes. they've already got their plan. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. I saw a copy of uh, Doctor Who in the Arkham Space uh, actually got sold today to a friend of mine in Edinburgh named David Russell. So he was very happy to get a hold of it. Uh, I don't know what he paid for it, but uh, it's, a, it's a really uh, um, interesting time of, of, of the Doctor Who history, 76, 77. Uh, the books start even multiplying. Uh, oh, now yes. we go to um, we go to September of seventy six. Of course, my birthday was in September of seventy six, so I I turned eight years old. And um, if I was lucky, then you could get a copy of Doctor Who and the Space War in hardcover. Yes, uh, it was released and was one of the first hardcovers I bought at a convention in nineteen eighty five. I remember we we got in the car and drove up to this little town in Wisconsin. And at the local Ramada Inn, uh, Janet Fielding was the guest. And uh, Gene and I had a table at that convention. We had a third person along working the table with us. And another dealer had this at his table for $20. So I took out my wow. 20 and I said, I want this book. <laughs> and it happens, to be the second, <laughs> it happens to be the second printing. So this one was reprinted in 1979. So it has Longbow W.H. Allen on the side. And uh, it's, uh, I'm going to open this up while I talk about it here. Uh, the X, X Library, second printing. Uh, the original, I, I said $20. Uh, and the only way to tell this one apart from the first edition is the spine will read Wingate, just simply across mm-hmm. the bottom of the spine. And this one has Longbow W.H. Allen. They were actually in 79, they had already phased out the Wingate uh, imprint. And this one, of course, has the Malcolm Hulk uh, biography. Uh, it has a big space where the, the library card was ripped out. And uh, the jacket still has a little bit of tape residue on it, but that's okay. It has a barcode in it, too. So uh, that's really interesting. But um, it's one of the books I actually enjoyed reading The Space War. Uh, I read this copy actually when I when I got it. It was something to do at um, you know when you're when you're in a small town back in 1985 and you're in a Ramada Inn and there's no, <laughs> no such thing as Wi-Fi yet and yes. or, or devices um, and basically uh, while Gene was counting money I was reading the Space War because <laughs> <you know? laughs> to save money the three of us all piled into one hotel room so it was, of course. Uh, that was how we did things. You know, it's, uh, it was, it was definitely, I'm, I'm waiting. Uh, somebody had actually offered to interview me for that story, for a story about the eighties and what we did. And I'm like, wow, my memory's still pretty good. Jeans is pretty good too. We were, we were chatting, uh, the last time I saw him at Chicago TARDIS two years ago, we were talking about some of these conventions we did, including one in Elk Grove village, Illinois, Ooh. where, um, it was at a high school. And during the convention, a fire alarm went off and (laughs) the people said we had to leave. And Gene's like, I'm not leaving. (laughs) 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 You'll have to carry me out of here (laughs) because he wasn't going to leave. In fact, I'll never forget that convention because uh, we sold more hardcovers at that that convention because um, I had arrived there first and Gene and Matt, who were working the convention with me, uh, got lost. And so (laughs) all I had with me was the hardcovers. So I had three boxes of hardcovers and they were $20 each. And so I just started saying, "Okay, hardcovers, 20 bucks cash. (laughs) We sold 
a boatload of them. So by the time he got there, which was like an hour late, we'd already made several hundred dollars in sales. So he was wow. like, oh, that's a good thing you had those. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, the... Uh, you know, you can expect to pay about $300 for this reprint. I've seen copies of that floating around. In fact, there's a couple out there on Abe's books already. Um, the reprint, uh, if the original edition, you'll expect to pay a little bit more for. If you can find a non-library copy, those will go for even more money. Um, I also love, I love the drawing of the Ogron on the cover, too. That's oh, just yes. one of my favorite drawings. Uh, Chris Achilleos did all the artwork in 1976. And uh, what was the uh, podcast rating on this one? Uh, Dalton gave it a 3.25. Allison gave it a 2.75, and I gave it a 3. So we were really close to one another on this one. In fact, one of us said, well, I'm going to trust you to put the reverb in when I say this, Larry, because this is what I always do in my podcast. Hulk is the strongest there is. And he is. Even when he's weak, this is not one of his better efforts. And yet mm. we both, we both, we three all mm. kind of shared the same opinion of it because I think it's, yeah, just looking down these ratings, I think this is one of the few times that we were ever within uh, point twenty-five of a point of each other wow. on anything. That's unusual on our podcast. There's usually quite a divergence between Allison's ratings and um, my ratings with Dalton. But this one we pretty much agreed on, and it's that it's still Hulk. It's mm-hmm. still good. Not quite his best, but it's still pretty good. Yeah, and I, I, I enjoyed reading it. And I've, I've read it again since then, and I've, I love the last line of the book. And I'm going to read this out loud for the audience here. It says, The doctor closed the door of the TARDIS. The master watched as it dematerialized. Then he went back to the big table and started to collect his star charts and other papers. Oh, well, he said to himself, there's always tomorrow. <laughs> Which is not what happened on screen. <laughs> no. Though I have a feeling that that's Malcolm Hulk having one of his rare moments of sentimentality and trying to give Roger Delgado his due. Absolutely. Because, uh, unfortunately, you know, Dodger, Roger Delgado passed away uh, in 1975, I think. And um, that was one of the major leading decisions John Pertwee had to leaving the series. Um, And he was very close to Roger Delgado and just a just a a big loss to the Doctor Who world back then, Mm -hmm. because I would have imagined, you know, in the if if he had lived, you know, and he would he would definitely would have been at the 85 convention in Chicago. And that would have been an incredible uh, man to meet. You know, mm-hmm. just just I, I it's one of the one of the Doctor Who, uh, you know, some sadly, some of the Doctor Who stars died before I had a chance to to meet them in person. But he's somebody I definitely would have wanted to shake hands with, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I at 85, I shook hands with Patrick Troughton. That was my moment there. Wow. And it was, he was an incredible man who actually was bewildered by the fact that nobody had seen his stuff here, but everybody loved him. <laughs> I, said, I said that's because you were the doctor and we love right. the doctor and um and and of course the 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 other story about that too was seeing the crotons on a big screen and then after the crotons ended patrick Troughton walked out and did a q a um oh. and it was it was just i just t- took it in and it was just the most amazing thing and uh that was the first big convention bundles from britain did as a dealer we had one table and 
it was, uh, I guess, on Saturday morning, uh, John Pertwee came into the dealer's room and walked right up to our table and looked <laughs> down and just said, look at all this stuff. <laughs> and at one point we're just kind of you know I'm, you know gene smith was there and we got our jaws dropped because here's john pertwee at our table he's picking up a copy of the cave monsters holds it up and goes do you think it's a good likeness <laughs> you know and i and, and pardon my pertwee impersonation it's not good i mean tim, i need tim trailer to do that yeah for me. you need a but, little more lift <laughs> yeah a little more lisp with that but he was so in, you know, he had kind of just started wandering around. And then finally, uh, after he spent a few minutes talking to us, his handler showed up and said, oh, Mr. Pertwee, we have to we have to we have to go. And of course, <laughs> that was something that um, that Gene uh, kind of, you know, we, we you know, he learned about conventions, uh, which is why the Chicago TARDIS convention, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we'll be doing an in-person convention this November. Um, and uh, by the way, just added to the list was Michael Jaston. So mm-hmm. the, the Valley Yard himself will be there. So uh, with Colin Baker and him, I think that's going to be an amazing Q&A for Trial of a Time Lord. But uh, I digress. But uh, that's, um, you know, one of those one of those things, you know, that that that, you know, whenever I see it, you know, I see one of these old books that I picked up years ago. I just I know the story that goes with it and where I was and what I was doing at the time. And, and of course, I had no idea it was leading to later stuff, you know, just. I was a kid, basically, so it was it was really something else. Um, and then, of course, we get to uh, in the same month, and this is another time when um, Wyndham Publishing decided, well, let's see, let's do this, let's do two that month and make them in story order because they mm-hmm. go together. So we we go to Planet of the Daleks uh, by. Terrence Dix, and this is a really wonderful copy that I managed to get a hold of uh, in the collection. It is not a library copy. Oh, no, it is a library copy, but it's in very good shape. And it's, you know, got on the on the back cover, it's advertising Genesis of the Daleks, the Three Doctors, and the Web of Fear. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really quite nice, and it has the Wingate logo, so it is a first edition. Uh, it was issued um, with... Uh, with the dust jacket and the standard Wingate logo, but unlike Space War, this one did not warrant a reprint. Hmm. So instead, it was included in a release by W.H. Allen in June of 1983 called the Dalek Omnibus. Yes. And that is a hardcover that contains several Dalek stories. I we Actually, Tony, if you remember, you and I talked about that book in our unusual uh, compilations, I think, or something like that sometime back. Maybe we yes. did. I, mm-hmm. I, so it, sure it so it so it technically did get a reprint, but not by itself. And uh, so if you and of right. course copies of the Dalek Omnibus you can find for twenty dollars uh, out there. There's a lot of them out there. They must have printed up ten thousand of them because there's so many out there for for that. But uh, this this is very hard to find in non-library condition, which you know was expecting. You can expect to pay about four hundred dollars for an ex-library. Um, if you have a non-library copy, they're going to go for at least $800 or $900. They're extremely rare. Mm-hmm. I've only seen one. Uh, one of my favorite stories uh, in print, uh, not so much on screen, <laughs> but 
but I was a little disappointed yeah, on screen. Exactly. When I saw when I read the book and I saw all these things, wonderful things happening, and I, I actually saw that saw the story, which I was very eager to see the story anyway because it was not shown in Chicago as part of the. Uh, uh, package because apparently at the time only one of the episodes existed in black and white. So um, I believe episode right. three. So when they did show it, they showed it without episode three. So there was a lot of head scratching going on when all of a sudden, oh, yeah. you know, the, the doctor was out of prison and there was, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> it's, 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 they just cut it all together and pretend we wouldn't notice. Um, but it is one of my favorite stories and also one of my favorite illustrations um, mm-hmm. that Chris Achilleos did, that Dalek with the fall. And, and, and he actually captures John Pertwee's expression of, you know, it actually looks like, boy, this thing's heavy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> taking all my effort to move it. But um, uh, what did the Target Book Club uh, think of this one? Now, this one is surprising because Dalton and I both gave the Space War 3.25 and 3, uh, respectively. We both gave this one a 3.75. Okay. So this was pretty high rated for both of us, and it was higher rated than the Malcolm Hulk novel, which is kind of surprising. Hmm. Allison gave it a 2, but she actually said on the podcast, uh, it's a pretty positive 2. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it opens I can, with... I, a, can hear, I can hear her voice saying that, actually. It's pretty yes, positive 2. Yeah, I can hear that. Pretty positive 2. <laughs> and she said that she particularly liked the disorientation of the opening because she loves a good opening disorientation. And it definitely has that. But it's one of those few instances where... You have those two books that are sequential, and yet mm-hmm. the Dick's novel is better than the Hulk. Oh, and to- yes. definitely better than the televised version. Yeah, I've read the I've read the book several times, and uh, I haven't read the hardcover edition. I've got several Target copies that I've gone through, and I still like to imagine how they did. You know, how if they had the money, <laughs> how they would have done it. But after I saw it, I was like, oh man, <laughs> this yeah. could have been. Yeah. Pertwee did one of the original audiobooks for this one, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah. And that one is also extremely difficult to find. Yeah. Um, in fact, any of his, um, you know, like the Ghosts of End Space and uh, stuff like that that he did as the first official audio uh, plays are very difficult to find these days. Uh, yeah, because, but we don't care about those. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, 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 I listened to your episode on that. So. <laughs> We did make a lot of friends with those. The, no. the Barry the Barry Letts uh, experience, absolutely. Just the a, Barry let down experience. The Barry let down experience, but... right? But but still, it was. Uh, I I loved listening to it just for the fact that it was the last some of the last things that he did, um, yes. and in Doctor Who, and he was very happy to do them because he kind of distanced himself from Doctor Who for a while after he left, and then came back to it. You know when the fandom just picked up and. I was just pleased as punch to meet the man. And uh, one, one of my favorite stories, again, I'll, another story about John Pertwee was, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago at Chicago TARDIS, I was on a panel remembering John Pertwee on his 100th birthday uh, or something like that. And it was an experience I shared where I was at the 85 TARDIS 22 convention and I was getting in the elevator to go back to my room. And in the elevator was John Pertwee in full Wurzel gummage. <laughs> Character costume the straw and was entertaining everybody in the elevator and 
he would, you know, he would say, basically, come on in, there's plenty of room in here, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And, and basically entertained everybody up until the final person got off where he could put his key in and go up to the suites, you know, and not be followed. <laughs> so he just kept his character going. And I shared this story and two, like at the end of the table, I forgot, Robert Wettendorf was at the end of the table and he goes, I can confirm that story. I was in the elevator with you. <laughs> because <laughs> Bob and I go back 25, 30 years now. And I'm like, he was in the many companions of Dr. Who with us. And, um, he, uh, he, I'm like, I forgot you were in the elevator with me. I was like, so I'm you know, like, it was a moment that if we had phones in those days, everybody would have been recording it, <laughs> but you yeah, had to have been absolutely. there to experience John Pertwee in full. And he never broke character. I thought I, wow. you know, I, I still it's ingrained in my memory and that's where, you know, I can only tell the story. And now at least I know somebody else has confirmed that story. So that's, you know, I was in the elevator. I'm like, of course you were, because we were heading up to the same, you know, we all shared one room there. <laughs> that's how we, you know, we saved money at the, at the Hyatt Regency. So what a what a great thing. Oh, of course, we, we come to the final book of 1976. So uh, not the not final, not the final issue, but the final new printing. Uh, in December of 1976, uh, Doctor Who and the Pyramids of Mars by Terrence Dix. I do not have this one. The Planet of the Daleks is the last copy that I have from that year. That is a very difficult year to complete. Um, this was issued with a white dust jacket. Very hard to find. I've seen one copy in 20 years. Mm. So I can't even put a price on it. Um, in January of 78, however, W.H. Allen lists a second printing, and I can confirm. Thank you to Mr. Steve Redford, who sent me photos of the second printing edition of the Pyramids of Mars, the cover and the inside page, clarifying the second print and with the W.H. Allen logo on the spine. So it it does exist. <laughs> so... <laughs> I always think of the uh, the Christmas commercial with Santa and the M and M's. They, they do exist, <laughs> <laughs> so it does exist. It does exist. They do exist. So um, that means I would have seen a, I've seen one first edition and one second edition in twenty years. Uh, this particular story on screen is actually one of my favorite stories for Tom Baker. Mine it's too. a it's it's a really brilliantly written thing, um, and Sutek is one of my favorite villains from that time. Just uh, and and Sarah Jane was at her best. And uh, speaking of Sarah Jane, by the way, in Chicago Tardis, I'm I'm also personally looking forward to meeting Sadie Miller. Uh, her daughter, uh, who is a guest at Chicago TARDIS this year, she reprises uh, Sarah Jane Smith in the Big Finish audios. Uh, she and I had an Instagram conversation not long ago, and she is just extremely excited to come to Chicago and, and meet with people who met her mother. And I met her mother back in the 80s. So it's, uh. it's, I'm really excited to... Uh, I, have, um, I have one autograph of Elizabeth Sladen. It's on a Tom Baker action figure. But uh, she, she, she was just a wonderful lady. I know she did a couple of Chicago TARDIS conventions uh, when they first started. But a wonderful story. So how did the uh, podcast react to that book? Um, Dalton and I both gave that one a 3.75. And this time, Allison gave it a 3. Wow. So I would That's say good. across the board, we all enjoyed that one just as much as we enjoyed Loch Ness Monster. That being said, Pyramids of Mars is definitely one of my favorite stories on screen. Mm-hmm. On the page, it loses a little bit, but not by much. Because okay. Terrence Dix is really giving it the attention that he gave to some of those other books that we like so much. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so there's a lot of great Target novelizations in 1976 because they, they limited it to 10 books. So that was kind of nice. Of course, the last book that comes out in 76 is the reprint of The Loch Ness Monster that I mentioned previously. And that comes out in late December of 76. So that was just in time for uh, Father Christmas to bring it to your house. <laughs> <laughs> um, that actually wraps up 1976. So if you if you want to own a set of these books, if you can find them, again, a mortgage payment or two mortgage payments <laughs> might cover X library copies. In other words, copies that have been discarded or stolen from a library. Uh, if you want first editions, I'm going to have to say that's probably not going to happen. Um, I just don't see them. I, they're, they're not out there. And I, I know when I talk about classic hardcovers and, and Tony, maybe you've seen some of this in the target book groups on Facebook. I get a lot of negative, um, pushback from people when I say this is an example of price gouging when people ask for a thousand dollars for a book and are like, whoa, whoa, hang on. The seller has the right to name his price. I said, absolutely. But when no one buys it, and, yeah. <laughs> and then then you've got to figure out, you know, there's a there, you know, I in my experience with bundles from Britain and working with Gene Smith and knowing him today, he's not going to put it at a price that isn't going to sell. And a lot of times right. uh, I'll, I'll go to him and go, OK, Gene, how much for this? Really? He goes, well, it gets a lot of money on on Amazon. I said, Gene, it's me. OK, here's your price. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's reasonable, you know. It's it's never going to be. In fact, uh, I'll tell you this: uh, a copy, a hardcover edition of *The Mind of Evil*, was on the Alien Entertainment shelf a year ago for twenty dollars. Oh my! And that's the and it was from the original bundle stock. It was one of the last couple of copies that were left over from the eighties. And he said there was no reason to raise the price on it because you know um, the those hardcovers had paid for themselves a decade ago. So it yep. was just, you know, let's, let's just get it out there. Of course, it, it got snatched up pretty quick and I'm glad it did. It went to a good home. But um, my advice, of course, uh, to all collectors out there, negotiate when possible. Like I said, sometimes you might be able to work out a better deal, but beware of initially high priced auctions. In fact, later in the program, when I do the most outrageous offer, I've got two classic hardcovers that, really should be examined for uh, their heads for prices they put on them um, because they're just not worth that kind of money. And, and you know, I, I know personally that both of those books would cover two of my mortgage payments. So that's <laughs> that's a lot of cash. Um, so that's the 1976. Uh, my special thanks to my guest, who is Tony Witt. I'm sorry, I hit the microphone. I'm talk with my hands is Tony Witt. So please tell our listeners where they can find uh, direction points, Dr. Who target book club podcast. You can find us at SoundCloud. Oh, let me try that again. Sure. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at Dr. Who target podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Who target book club podcast, all in word with no spaces. You can also find us wherever you find good podcasts, including Spotify. And of course we are now part of the direction point network. So you can find us there as well. Absolutely. And along with uh, along with the Target Book Club podcast at the Direction Point Network, you can also find Police Box in a Junkyard and Time Streams. So it's a new one I just picked up. Time Streams, I just listened to an incredible episode hosted by Nathan Laws, who's I, I've done. I've done a lot of panels with him over the years. I know you know him pretty well, Tony. Um, but uh, I, they just di completely uh, dissected the first season of Doctor Who. 
and it was a very interesting discussion uh, for very hardcore Doctor Who fans. Uh, and I, it kind of it kept me for at least three different commutes back and forth. It was an hour and a half, but it was it kind of kept me riveted to come back to see what they were going to think of the next story. So I definitely, if you're not listening to time streams, I would definitely tune into that one. So thanks again, Tony, for being part of the uh, Doctor Who Collectors podcast. And stay tuned, everybody, for we have for collection protection and the most outrageous offer coming up. Sad, Red, isn't it? People spend all that time making nice things and other people come along and break them. And now it's time for collection protection. As we talked about classic hardcovers, I want to revisit uh, some of the things that you can do to protect your Doctor Who hardcovers, especially the older editions with dust jackets. Uh, the first thing that I go to, of course, is the correct sleeve, a 2.5 mil polyethylene sleeve with no flap. It's not needed. Uh, it's called a jumbo paperback sleeve. It's six and an eighth by 10 inches, but it perfectly fits the Doctor Who hardcovers. Um, not too snug, so it won't crumple the, the dust jacket as it goes in, and there's enough room at the top to fold over and seal. Um, and one of the things that uh, I'm switching to than, than standard scotch tape is a, is a resealable double, uh, double-sided tape that you can actually then open the book without worrying about the tape um, being on the bag and having the tape stick to the book, and then you've got problems there. Um, I also want to point out some additional things if you want to really protect your hardcovers. They they have um, at Bags Unlimited Incorporated, of course. Uh, by the way, the jumbo paperback sleeve at Bags Unlimited. The uh, product ID is SPJ. You can get a hundred of those for nineteen dollars and sixteen cents. Of course, if you don't have a hundred hardcovers. You may want to split that bag maybe with another collector or let us know and we'll figure out a way to help you out there. Um, other things you can do here, they have what's called rare book storage kits. And these are uh, acid-free, uh, lignin-free, buffered storage boxes, clamshell boxes. You get five sheets of microchamber uh, paper, which neutralizes odor, eliminates acids, and harmful byproducts of deterioration. Five sheets of acid-free tissue paper, filler and acid absorber, and one label holder uh, for the box. So you can put your books in these storage boxes. Um, and they come in different sizes. And the one that would fit your uh, Doctor Who hardcovers are the six and three quarter by ten and one quarter inch by three inches. That gives plenty of room in there. And these are not uh, inexpensive. Two of these will cost you $44.77. It is considered museum-grade Alpha Cell Archival. If you really want to protect, I'm considering this option for my um, my Mueller uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks and my White Lion uh, hardcover and my Dutch uh, hardcover edition of Doctor Who and the Daleks as far as super archival protection uh, to the ultimate degree. So this is not for the casual collector. This is for somebody who's really serious about preserving their books. So again, also with anything, uh, your target books, your magazines, Bags Unlimited at 1-800-767-2247 or bagsunlimited.com. If you do order from them, please let you let them know that you heard about it on the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. We don't get anything back, but we want them to know that we sent you there. 
So that's for our collection protection. We thank Bags Unlimited Incorporated um, for their many years. I was using them in 1981 when I started collecting. So they've been along, around a long time. So that's collection protection. Through all my travelings throughout the universe, I have battled against evil, against power-mad conspirators. I should have stayed here. The oldest civilization, decadent, degenerate, and rotten to the core. Power-mad conspirators, Daleks, Sontarans, Cybermen. They're still in the nursery compared to us. Ten million years of absolute power. That's what it takes to be really corrupt. And now it's time for my favorite part of the program, uh, the outrageous offer, the most outrageous offer. I have a twin pair of outrageous offers here, and I gave a little preview to this earlier in the episode. Um, the These are two classic hardcover books that were sold on abesbooks.com. Uh, one of my favorite places to go, by the way, you can find a lot of reasonably priced Doctor Who books at Abe's Books. Sometimes you find some unreasonably priced books, and these were sent to me by a user uh, who did not want to be named. So uh, both of these books would cover about two mortgage payments total because they're priced exactly the same. And I should point out here, the first one here is Doctor Who and the War Games, which is part of the 1977 uh, releases, I believe. And uh, it is a first edition in a dust wrapper with an ex-library copy with a stamp to the half title and another to a publisher page. The front free end paper has been neatly removed. The wrapper is a little shelf-worn and rubbed. The book has a few small dents in the top edge and the board is a little shelf-worn and rubbed to edges. The spine is leaning and the pages are lightly tanned throughout. The page block ends have a few stain marks that go through to the outer margins of dozen so pages, but text is not affected. The spine is leaning again. Um, this is provided to us by Alder Bookshop in the UK. Uh, they've been a seller online just this past year with a five-star rating. Um, first of all, shipping to the United States for this book is $16.96, and they're asking $1,327.81. Um, I've heard the War Games actually going for a lot higher, but that was for a non-library copy. This is an ex-library copy, so I believe this price is a little outrageous. And priced exactly the same from the same bookseller is a copy of Doctor Who and the Auton Invasion, not the first Wingate edition, but the W.H. Allen reprint, which came out many years later. And this one uh, says here that is... Uh, um, a first hardback edition with pictorial uh, laminated boards. No wrapper, though we believe this was issued with this binding. Yes, that's true. And uh, it does not say whether it is an ex-library or new edition. But it's also priced exactly the same at $1,327.81. Um, we've reached out to the seller to ask if maybe there was an error when they were pricing their books or if they just threw that price up there. It seems like a random price to me. Uh, and I don't think that the Auton Invasion would fetch that much money either. I believe those books are still out there. We will have the links to these if they're still, in fact, up there. Usually after we publish the podcast, sometimes they disappear. Uh, it's amazing to me. But I have copies. Of, I will post if they did disappear. I have printed out the pages from which they came, so I will publish those. And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, if you ever see a outrageously priced Doctor Who book, and I've seen many uh, even doing this research uh, finding out these, uh, just send us the link 
uh, to Doctor Who Collectors Podcast at gmail.com and we'll investigate that and uh, we'll put them on the air. If you'd like to be named, just let us know. If you'd rather not, I understand. Just let us know that too and we will not mention your name. So we believe that uh, Doctor Who Collectors items should be within the reach of the average collector, not necessarily the rich collector. But these two books together, by the way, uh, represent almost $2,700 in investments, which um, for for some, that's a single mortgage payment. For others, it's two. Um, and it seems a bit pricey. Again, so this has been, um, by the way, the most outrageous offer, and you have been listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Uh, Again, a special thanks to Tony Witt, who joined us today for the deep dive into the 1976 uh, hardcover releases, and uh, all of the uh, people that make this possible. Uh, We want to thank, of course, uh, Barry Mason and Les Reed, the composers of Who's Doctor Who, and of course, I always thank Mr. Fraser Hines. Uh, who performed that way back in the day, but we use it, and he's been very happy that we have kept that song going today. Um, Before we uh, close out with our ending credits here, uh, again, looking forward to our next few episodes. Uh, The next episode, we're going to talk about some Doctor Who items that are unusual from the 1980s, uh, including the Doctor Who telephones and some of the other household items that came out, and we'll have that discussion next time. So again, thank you for listening. Keep collecting. Doctor Who Podcast Network.